Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. Today's interview is especially unique. Rachel Curfew is a life coach certified in strategic intervention with a specialty in anxiety. Rachel is also certified in marriage education and divorce prevention. She uses expressive art therapies, EFT, also known as tapping, and neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, to create transformations in her clients. She's built a program. It's called Anxiety is a Gift. And Rachel is just a woman who has learned so much through her own life experience, and it has allowed her to bless many other people's lives and learning how to manage anxiety and how to use it to bless their lives rather than to destroy their peace and prevent them from following and reaching for their dreams. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. And when I first met you at the Utah Speakers Association, I was impressed by your warmth and smile. We then ended up talking during the dinner and you told me that you were an anxiety coach. And I was like, tell me more. So tell us first, what is an anxiety coach and how did you become one? Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And yes, I had an amazing time meeting you and just connecting with you. We just seemed to click really fast. So that was wonderful. Um, so my journey of becoming a coach uh, who worked with women who have anxiety was not planned. And I think a lot of women have stories like that, um, maybe different, they end up in different places, but we, we come up with these we end up in these places that God kind of probably had prepared for us all along. We just had no idea it was coming. <laughs> and I feel like that was a little bit about my journey. I grew up uh, very shy. What people would call me was shy. And that was the label that got attached to me. And, and you know, as a, as a teacher or a mother and, and watching me grow up, that probably looked like an accurate label. Um, but fast forward to like high school and I started going, why is everybody having more fun than me? And I felt like I was standing on the sidelines of my own life and I was missing out. I'm like in the shadows watching my life go by and I'm watching my friends who are laughing and singing and dancing and playing games and doing all these things. And I'm like this total wallflower if I win at all. And I was like, I don't think I'm shy. I'm actually afraid. I was actually scared. If I go and laugh or play party games or dance or sing or anything like that, I was like, what if they look at me? What if they laugh at me? What if I do it wrong? What if, what if, what if? And I realized over some time, just doing my own self-discovery, this is actually something I think called anxiety. 
And I was doing pretty good plugging along though in life and trying to figure out how I could be a little more outgoing and be comfortable and, and do some of those things and be happy and have fun. And I didn't do any like counseling or work or anything on it. I just, I was plugging along, kind of trying to figure it out as I went. And I was doing pretty well until... <laughs> Fast forward many years, and now I'm in a marriage that's not good. And I have a child who is experiencing massive anxiety, massive OCD, and several other challenges that can that are even more severe that come with some of those things. And all of a sudden now, I can't help my kids that were in trouble. I couldn't help myself. Here we are now in a real situation and I couldn't fix it. And as a mom, you want to help your kids and fix things when things are broken and they're hurting. So doing everything I could at the time with the knowledge and the resources and the tools that I had at the time, uh, I decided to put, we tried, you know, counselors, play therapy, water therapy, sand therapy, group counseling, like, you know, you try everything, doctors, psychiatrists, medications, like you name it, EMDR, like you name it, we hit all the biggies. We, I was really, really trying to help my kid. It was really my, help my kids, help my family. And what ended up happening was I started having the therapist say to me, wait, how did you know to do that? How did you help her in that moment? How did you, how did you know to do that? Who told you to do that? And I believe personally, it was just thankfully, hopefully (laughs) I was in tune a little bit to the spirit. And I think some of it was trial and error being the mom and have trying things and researching for uh, so long. And I think some of it was the spirit leading me and guiding me. It was also in a church calling that uh, we, at the time, lived outside of Utah. And we were in a position where I was the primary president over a ward and a branch, a Spanish-speaking branch that had a lot of challenges with um, needing some welfare assistance and some services. And because we were outside of like the traditional Utah bubble, (laughs) I got to partake in, you know, I got to help those people. I got to go to counseling appointments with them. I got to go to uh, schools. I got to meet with principals and do all these things. So I was getting all these different life experiences at the time that were shaping me and molding me. I just didn't know it at the time. And as these therapists and counselors were saying, you know, how did you know to do that? And, you know, and I was like, okay, I'm doing something right. And I'm getting all these good pieces from, of this puzzle from all these different places. But it was the first time in my life, ever in my life, that I decided I was going to be selfish. And I struggled with it because I was like, by nature, not selfish, but I was like, no. I'm being selfish. This is for me and my family, and we need more answers. And so I was like, whatever it takes, I'm going back to school. I'll go through trainings. I'll do whatever it takes. I need answers for my family. Long story short, uh, came back to Utah, 
And now as a single mother with children, not in an opportunity to necessarily go back to school because my kids and I are still in counseling. We're trying to work. We're trying to just survive. And I was led truly by divine design to the opportunity of a a specific coaching program that had nothing to do with anxiety. And all of a sudden, I found myself as I'm going through the courses and being trained and doing certifications and doing all these different things to learn and gain knowledge still just to help my family. All of a sudden, I'm like, this program aligns perfectly with the gospel, even though it's totally not about the gospel. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I started realizing that it actually also has all the foundation pieces, all those puzzles that I was giving pieces of this program and the things I was learning when you combine it with the gospel, it lines up perfectly. So I didn't look to become an anxiety coach and I didn't plan on that. But once I got myself and my family to a pretty good place, all of a sudden people started saying, how did you go through as something really traumatic in your life and and being a single mom and dealing with all this trauma and all the things you guys went through without being on medication, without being in long-term therapy, without turning to drugs or alcohol or ice cream or sugar or caffeine or whatever. And how are you happy through it all? And that's kind of how it all started was it was a lot of years of a lot of experiences growing up, becoming a mother, going through some traumas, going through some pain, going through divorce, all these different things. But all of them, like I said a second ago, totally in, you know, looking back in hindsight, you can see God's hand in all of those things, molding and shaping and kind of moving me toward this path where I feel like I'm now called to be and where I feel like I actually do get to make a difference every day in people's lives. That's so beautiful. What were some of the observations that were being made by the therapists regarding what you were doing? Can you recall any of those specific things that you had done in moments to help your child? Yeah, I can, I can tell you one that was really stands out in my mind, but uh, went in with my child and they were, you know, doing a little, like, how was your week? What did happen? And I'm like, well, we had a struggle and I'm describing, you know, kind of what was happening. And I um, actually had told my daughter to uh, jump on her bed. And the therapist was like, why? And I said, the reasons why I just had prompt been prompted to have her, you know, be silly to, to jump on her bed, to do something like that. And um, the therapist sat there just stunned and in silence, like, why, how, uh? and you could see the little wheels in her head turning, like putting it together. And then she stopped and she said, I'm writing a book right now. Can I write that and put that in the book? And she's like, how did you know to do that? I'm like, it came to me in the moment. I just really felt like it was inspiration. But ironically, through these years, and I actually didn't realize this till you just asked this just now. So this is kind of a fun little aha. (laughs) But currently to this day, my favorite thing to tell clients, especially women who are like, 
I don't know, 60 or 65. <laughs> when we're one of the anxiety strategies I teach them is about using their body to create motion. And when we use our body for motion, we create a new emotion. And so I tell them, would you like the shortcut, the fastest way to use your body to create a new emotion? And they're like, oh, yes, please. What? Yes. What? Yes. And I'll say, I want you to jump on your bed. And they go, oh, what? Because, and the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, I'll break my hip or I could fall or um, my mother would kill me. She's been dead for 12 years, but my mother would kill me. Like, you know, things like that. And they get this totally shocked and confused reaction. And I don't actually have them jump on their bed for the record. <laughs> But just the idea and the picture of it in your head gets them to drastically and quickly change their thoughts and their emotions just that fast. So then we come up with practical real things that they can actually do that are safe without their mother getting mad at them, that they can use their body to change their the emotion that they're feeling. So that's that was one of them that. Like I said, I hadn't even put those two together, but I've been using that for years. And it honestly came to me in a moment of crisis. So that is such a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And also in this story, you talked about the program you went through. Um, what was the program? So the foundation of my coaching is all through Tony Robbins uh, coaching program. That's the foundation, the program. Since then, I've done countless programs and certifications and continuing education and things like that and gain knowledge from all over. But that was that first initial um, program that got me started. The reason why I asked that is because when you shared about the, you're having your daughter jump on the bed, it reminded me of Tony. (laughs) Tony, he always tells you that like, you have to gain momentum. Like you need momentum to keep like movement is critical to your being able to move out of whatever you're in, like an object. And that first, you know, we know that an object that is not in motion, the biggest point of energy is getting it into motion. Right. And that's where I think the change is happening, right? Like that change your state kind of thing, change your state. And your physical state will absolutely, that's why I think exercise, right? People tell you like, start to exercise. Why are they telling you that? Because it's changing your state, your physical state so that you can potentially feel better and have a different emotion. So. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. And you know what? That was years and years before I discovered Tony Robbins. I had no idea at that point when I was talking to this lady in that therapist office that day, when I'm telling my kids to jump on their beds. I'd never heard any of that before. So when I did hear it and all of a sudden it just like clicked, I'm like, okay, we've already been doing this. So I know how this works and it does work. Yeah. So I know a lot of times in our society and I was a teacher for many years and a lot of kids, including myself, I I consider myself to be a more anxious person. I I tend to struggle a little bit more with that. Um, It's gotten better as I've gotten older, but it was quite intense, especially during my twenties. And so I, and and I know I still have that tendency, right? I have that tendency, but I am curious when people label themselves as anxious, like I have anxiety. Do you think that that is an empowering belief or do you feel like that limits people or is there somewhere in the middle there? 
Yeah. Really good question. And I think it's really, truly an individual question for each person and with an individual answer. So there's some people, you're exactly right. Some people can say, I have anxiety. And that's like, empowers them. It fuels them. They're like, okay, I know what it is. So I know what to do and I can learn and I can try things and I can do things. And, you know, and so it's empowering because it's like, okay, I have an answer for what's going on in my body. But there's other people that a label like I have anxiety is totally the opposite. All of a sudden, they've got this big problem. They don't know how to overcome it. It's too big. It's too heavy. It's um, uh, the adversary, I think, loves that because it's like, oh, yeah, you've got a big problem. Just stay stuck here in the darkness. There's nothing you can do about it. Just stay right here and feel more anxiety and then feel shame and guilt about it, too. And so I think it really depends on the person. I think it depends on their mindset. I think it depends on their experiences with other um, health issues or mental illness issues, or just as by nature, are they more positive? Are they more negative? Like just, I think it really depends on the person, but it can go every direction. Right. And I guess also anxiety is a normal human emotion. How do we know if it's a problem? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I like to tell people, especially the women I work with, that every person has anxiety. It's you're supposed to. It's a system that God put in there on purpose, and it is supposed to be there. Um, the, The trick is, if it's something that is moving you forward and helping you learn and grow and progress, you're doing pretty good and you're just you're you're okay. Don't like just keep going. You're doing great. If it's keeping you, though, from feeling happy and thriving and making progress in your life, and I always say progress is measured in two millimeters. I'm not talking about leaps and bounds. I'm talking about if you're not making even just two millimeters of progress every day, you're feeling stuck, you're feeling in that dark, you're feeling like you can't. Uh, if your if your fear is so great that you're not able to be out in society or or give a little lesson at church or to be with friends or to make a phone call or uh, you know any of those things, then that's probably when we need to say let's let's do something about that. Let's let's do it together. Let's help. Let's figure this out. It's not so dark and so scary when you have a buddy, a friend that's been on the path already. Yeah, with anxiety. I think sometimes people feel, and myself included, has felt like I get stuck in an emotion and that, you know, I, whatever the emotion is, it feels like it's stuck there. And even if I have moved my body and then I still feel it, what are other strategies for people who feel like they can't kind of navigate or move through whatever they're experiencing? So there's a lot of strategies and it would depend on the person and the circumstances. I always pick strategies that um, I, I try my best at least to pick strategies for that person based on how their body and their spirit respond. If I'm super visual, if you give me something logical and words and a step-by-step, I check out. I need something visual and very creative and stimulating. So I try to um, create strategies to that are customized for that person. So that's number one. Everybody, it's a little bit different. But when an emotion shows up and we feel like we're like 
stuck in it. Like I'm feeling it. I'm trying to work through it. I'm trying to do what I know or use motion or whatever strategy, you know, and it's still staying. I like to think that um, even the darker colored emotions on the rainbow, those ones that don't always feel so good, that God gave them to us as a tool and they're here for a reason. And we need all the colors of the rainbow to make the beautiful rainbow. So people tend to get scared of the darker colors. We don't like them because they don't feel as good. They don't look always as pretty, but they show up with a positive intent, just like the brighter colors. All emotions have a positive intention. So if one of them is staying around, it's, it's lingering. I like to think of that as an opportunity. What is this emotion trying to teach me or share with me? Or what needs to be healed or solved in my life? What needs to be forgiven? What needs to be um, processed? Or I mean, it can be anything. So I like people not to resist or push the emotion. I like them to get curious. All right. What do we need to learn? It, it, It will leave when it's had all the attention it needs. So let's give it some attention. Let's give it some love. Let's figure out why it's here. And once we do that, then it just goes. Hmm. Yeah, that's very true. It's an opportunity to get curious. I I find that thought or the statement, all emotions have a positive intention. That is something that I need to think further on. (laughs) Because And so I'm curious, how did you come to that conclusion? I wish I had some great aha or story for you, but it just experienced a lot of years, just recognizing that um, I don't believe that, you know, God gives us purposely things that are bad or hard, or, you know, he wants us to sit in suffering and pain all the time. But yet we have those feelings and thoughts sometimes because we are humans going through this human experience. So if But if we have this God, this heavenly father who loves us so much, why would he give us like anger or rage or, or grief or shame or, or depression or anxiety, like all these things. And it it just, like I said, it's, there's no big red, big idea here. There's no big flag or anything. It's just, I believe that he loves us so much. So he's given all of these to us as tools. They're just tools. Anger has a purpose. Rage has a purpose um, in the right place and the right time. If we just let our emotions run wild, that's when we have problems, you know, violence or or we get into a self-harming behaviors or different extreme things. But on a day-to-day basis, we're supposed to experience the whole rainbow, the whole color. They're all just tools and resources to use to help us learn and grow and make that two millimeters of progress closer to him every day. So this reminds me of an experience I had in my car. I was waiting for my husband to get some food and I was sitting in the vehicle and I was on Instagram and there was nothing negative that I had consumed, but I had this horrible feeling that came like this just dark feeling. And it was I don't know how to describe it in any other way than I thought it was a horrible emotion. It just felt yucky. And I got off the phone 
And I sat there and I was like, okay, I'm going to feel this emotion. Even though I want to like escape from this emotion, I'm going to choose to like sit here. So it's like 90 seconds, like just give it 90 seconds, right? Because that's one of the strategies I've been taught is like, give it your full attention. And um, it didn't go that fast actually, but it was relatively, I would say it was like two to three minutes. Um, And it was really intense. And I had, and I was in communion with God. And so I said, why, why is this emotion here? And I felt like he specifically told me, this is because you're wasting time and I have important work for you to do. And I feel like it was the only way he could get my attention was through the negative, what I would consider a negative emotion. Um, but just like you said, all emotions have a positive intention that the intention of that emotion was actually to help me to redirect my, my effort and my time and energy. So that's beautiful. Yeah. That's just like, I feel like that totally lines up anyway. But, um, now if anxiety is a gift, um, I feel like you kind of answered that question in regards to like, how do we shift our mindset to believe that anxiety is a gift? Do you want to add anything onto that? Just a thought. One of the things that people say to me all the time is, why would you pick that for the name of your program? And why do you teach that? I've had people actually be mad at me. Like, and I had a lady even kind of verbally attack me for it. And I just want to just say, I don't expect or want anyone just one day to say, wake up with, oh my goodness, anxiety is terrible. I've had this big problem for 10 years. I don't know how to get over it to in two minutes later. Oh, anxiety is a gift. Like, Come on, that's way too big of a jump. Let's be clear. I am not asking people just to believe something that they don't believe is true. What I am hoping is that it plants a seed. And it's just this little seed of hope. Like, wait a minute, is there a journey I could take? And what as I take the journey, and as I learn the tools and the strategies, and as I come across that bridge and you know to the other side, could I maybe feel that? Is that a possibility? And it, number one, it is, but it's progress. Remember is two millimeters. So that first little initial thought anxiety is a gift. That's just the first little two millimeters and there's a whole journey. Um, so I just wanted to kind of just throw that out, that it's not something I expect you just to instantly be like, if I say it a hundred times a day, will I believe it? And will my anxiety go away? No, it won't. It won't. It will help to start to shift you the way you look and think about anxiety, but you still have to take the journey. And again, hopefully by the end of the journey, you can go, okay, I'm starting to see how it's a gift, but it's a journey. It's it's not just a quick mindset, flip a switch, say it a hundred times a day and it's better. It's, it's a journey. You still have some work to do. We have to figure out what's triggering your anxiety and work on that stuff before it becomes truly a gift. Hmm. So triggers are probably uh, the the work that people do, like identifying triggers. How have you helped people identify triggers for their anxiety? Triggers are tough because every single time a person comes to me and says something like, I get triggered every time the phone rings. I I just can't answer the phone. I get so scared to answer a phone call, which is a really big common one. Um, Yeah, I know you're like, what? It is. It's a really common thing. A lot of people can't answer a phone call. 
Um, especially things if it's like their children's school or their doctor's office, or if it's an unknown number, because they don't want to be put on the spot. What if they ask me to buy something and I have to say no? Like, so any of those kind of unknowns can be triggers. So if somebody comes to me and says, okay, Rachel, I can't answer the phone or I can't open the front door or, you know, something like that, that for a lot of people's fairly easy to do. They're like, that's my trigger. And of course, please don't think that I'm thinking that, you know, that's, I mean, the fact that they come and they open, that's a, and are talking, that's a huge, huge, huge step. So of course we're giving him so much props and so much love right there in that moment. But as I'm thinking while they're talking, I know with a hundred percent certainty that is actually not their trigger. There is that what we think is our trigger is never it. It never is. So that's the first two millimeters of progress though. But we do have specific activities and strategies. And again, they're customized based on the person and how they like to learn and what their trigger is and what's going on to kind of help gently, carefully, very slowly. Most of the time, they don't even know it's happening. And we just kind of work down two millimeters at a time. And usually we can discover it within a matter of a few minutes. But it's it's never what they think. They're always like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. And but they go, oh. I can see that. I could, it, yep, that makes sense. And it clicks for them. But it's never what you think, but that's always the best place to start. Start with what you know, and then we right. can figure out more from there. And do you normally ask them, what's like a, a question you would start with to help them dig down a little further about why that is? So for example, like, I don't like to answer the door or um. I don't, or I mean, maybe somebody has like, I feel anxiety after I bear my testimony in church. I feel high amounts of anxiety. This is true for me. And I have been somebody who continues to do that, which is bold. Um, But I feel an intense amount of discomfort after I bear my testimony most of the time. Yeah. But so first of all, I'm going to change the subject with them on purpose. I'm going to change the subject and I'm going to start getting really curious and asking them a lot of questions about what's going on in their mind and what's going on in their body. And I take them on a little journey that, so their mind is in a completely different place. They're like, did she hear me? Did she, is she listening? Okay. She's asking all these questions about anxiety. So I guess I'll go along with it, but she's kind of nuts. And ultimately at the end of it, And some of this is just experience. I've gotten really good at listening for key words, key phrases, watching their body language. I learn a lot from how they answer the questions, just like their expressions and what are they doing with their fingers and their hands? Are they playing with their hair? Are they biting their nail? Like, what are they doing when I'm talking about certain things? And the interesting thing is there will always be a thread. So as we talk about their anxiety and then I get a little bit of history and they're telling me stories without even realizing that they're telling me their history, all of a sudden we can say, oh, so now you've told me this situation, this situation, and this situation, and that I'm hopefully getting information from different points of their life. All of those have a few things in common. 
and they never realized or saw it or heard it or understood it. And so the questions are very specific to their stories and what they're telling me. But we find that little common thread and we find the thing that their anxiety is protecting them from. Anxiety only shows up. Anxiety's positive intent is always about protection. And so our brain has been designed to protect us in several different ways, but the two I like to focus on are, one, uh, we have this fight, flight, or freeze system, and anxiety shuts off when that system goes on. That is so that your body can take every ounce of energy and adrenaline to get you safe, right? To get you out of danger. And so anxiety and along with your immune system and several other systems that are not necessary in that moment, they shut down so that they can be, you can be protected in a physical way. Anxiety though, when your anxiety alarm goes off, and that's what I call it, your anxiety alarm goes off, that is your brain sending you a signal that you, your brain is trying to protect you from an emotional pain. One of those like rainbow colors we talked about, those darker ones a minute ago. So as we go through different stories and I have different strategies, it takes only a few minutes to figure out that there's a thread. And for me personally, my thread is always centered around failure. If my anxiety alarm goes off today, I already know I can fast forward through the steps because I've done it for so many years that there's something going on or in my life that I'm getting ready to do. Something's coming up. I'm going to give a talk or I'm going to answer a call or I'm going to talk to the doctor or whatever it is. Something's getting ready to happen where I have felt pain, emotional pain in the past that is either the same or similar to the upcoming circumstance. So for me, it's always like, are you really sure you want to do this? Last time we gave up, got up and gave a talk, you stumbled over your words and it didn't feel good. You were embarrassed. Are you sure you want to do that? Or it could be, don't you remember in third grade when you got up and gave your first book report and when Bobby pointed at you and made fun of your dress and it was your favorite dress and you were embarrassed and it was awkward, right? So there can be these little threads throughout our life. And mine is, again, all connected to failures. That's how I kept track of things growing up is failure after failure. And so for me, if my alarm's going to go off, it's always going to be, are you sure you want to go through this situation where you might experience failure again? That's a big emotional pain in my story. Hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. That was really broad and <laughs> all over. I mean, I feel like people can, people, you help people make connections to things that have happened so that they can have the revelation themselves so that they can figure out what what's really happening or what's on the uh, at the very bottom of this whole emotional um, experience they're having. I do find it interesting that you said that it's protection, that anxiety is there to protect you. And so getting curious about what is it trying to protect me from is also a helpful thought. That is one of the questions in the strategy I actually teach in helping people to turn off their alarm. And, and it, I specifically have them state it this way. What are you trying to protect me from right now? And the magic words are right now because our brain doesn't tell time. 
It doesn't always know because we've been thinking about the future if we're in an anxious state. So when you ask your brain, what are you trying to protect me from? It's like, well, is it what we're thinking about in the future? Or is it, are you talking about what happened in the past in third grade or, or whatever? So being anxious is, is one of the things that's really important is to become present, to get back here to this space. And so we have to tell our brain right now, and we want to stay in a state of presence as much as possible because that's where all the good stuff is. That's where love and hope and peace and calm and healing and the spirit and everything good that we want is right here in the present. So you know, we need to tell our brain, come back to right now. Let's get here present. And then let's talk about what are you really trying to protect me from? What emotional pain is it that you don't want me to, that you're trying to warn me about that potentially could be coming up? Um, so for example, if somebody is feeling like the spirit, they're receiving revelation that they're not supposed to date X person or Y person or, you know, Z person that there's, there's just this constant concern. Like this person isn't the right person for me. The spirit keeps telling me he isn't the one and it comes up over and over. And it it seems like a pattern. It feels like a pattern and the people that the person has dated have not had obvious red flags, right? Like it's not like, oh, this person is really unhealthy. Therefore you're feeling that. Yeah. You know, but I, um, anyway, that's, that's, you know, how do we determine if it's revelation or if it's anxiety? Yeah. And that is a question I talk about a lot because it is confusing. And as members of the church, we have a desire to um, get get personal revelation. We want it. We need it. We, um, but it's really, really confusing when you have four or five or six voices in your head. And you're trying to decide, is this my voice? Is this God's voice? Is this my mother's voice? Is this my husband's voice? Is this my, you know, third grade teacher's voice? Like, well, whose voice is this? And, and the other one that's really important is sometimes the adversary's voice sneaks in there. And it sounds a lot like some of these people that you know, like, and trust. And so that's a really important question. It's just, just to simply say, whose voice is this? Like, call it out. Who's talking to me? Whose voice is this? But one of the things I teach people to do in my program, and this sounds ridiculous, like so ridiculous, but I actually help them create a character and help them get to know their, the voice of anxiety. And when they know their own personal, unique anxiety signature pattern, and everybody does has their own unique pattern. We all do anxiety different. Once you know your pattern and you've learned to know the sound of that voice that is anxieties, it's really, really easy to separate the other voices out. So some of that is learning a new habit and a new skill, a new way to receive personal revelation. And it becomes really easy once you separate anxieties out. And it's not hard. It's just practicing a new skill. So when it comes to something like, if you're not sure, is this the spirit or is this anxiety or the adversary or who else, every, any, any other noise in my head. One of the things that's really important to remember is anxiety gets louder. Anxiety's voice gets 
louder and stronger and uses your body to um, speak to you. So you're going to get your physical symptoms for anxiety are going to get bigger and stronger. When your alarm goes off initially, it might feel like butterflies in your stomach. That's one signature pattern for one person. It might not be yours. But when your butterflies, you don't talk to your that part of your brain and say, hey, what's going on and go work through the strategy. Well, then your body and spirit are going to be like, hey, you who you're still moving forward towards this painful thing. So. Um, I got to get your attention even louder. So instead of stomach pains or some butterflies, now it might be stomach pains or it might be your breathing changes and gets um, more labored or quicker or, or something like that. So anxiety's voice is always going to get louder and you're going to feel it in your body. But the spirit is always soft and simple. And the spirit talks in short words and phrases generally, like, don't go in there or answer the phone or tell your kid to jump on their bed, right? They're short, simple phrases or thoughts usually. Anxiety or the adversary or some of those other voices that create the noise in your head, they can run on sentences for days, okay? That's not the spirit. That's, that's not the spirit will always, and your body will be more calm with the spirit, not more worked up. So those are some things to start looking for when you're making a decision, whether it's dating or marriage or parenting or making any decision or choice, simply call out the voice and start noticing how the spirit speaks to you and your body. And it somehow will be a thought or an idea in your mind or your heart, that it will be calm. It will feel good. You won't feel like you need to pull away from it. You won't be confused. Um, all of those, like the confusion, I don't like this feeling. It's too noisy. The sentences are too long. There's too many questions and what ifs. That's not the personal revelation side of it. So this may be too personal and you can totally decline answering this question, but I'm just curious because you did have your first marriage and it wasn't, it didn't sound like it was a healthy marriage. Um, did you have any like inclinations that it wasn't a good idea from the beginning or did you feel like it was a good choice at the time? So here's a little, um, I'll tell you a short story that I don't usually share. <laughs> it is personal. Um, but actually, the marriage I was referring to a minute ago was my second marriage. So when I, went into this, um, I'd been divorced and then I was getting ready to go into this next marriage and all. So of course I was like super high alert, like analyzing, checking things, talking to people, having my family, like, what do you think? What did you see? What did you like? Uh, he was uh, in that whole relationship was under a microscope in the biggest possible way. And it did feel right. And they, there weren't red flags and there weren't problems and it was good in so many ways. Um, and, uh, yeah, did the temple, did the prayers, did that, like all of the whole thing to make sure it was right. And, um, the difference was it was right. It just, the person later decided to change, went through some experiences, agency was you know, they got to use their agency and in the situation, the relationship, the marriage changed. Do I regret 
do I feel like I made a mistake? Did I miss revelation? Yeah, I questioned that a lot at times. I really did, especially when I was hurting. Like, how did I mess up? How did I do this again? How am I here? What happened? What did I was like, did, did I misread the messages from God? Like how, like so many what ifs and hows and you know, it's a lot, but now that it's been a lot of years, the emotions are down, the pain is gone. The healing has happened. No, it still was right. And it was still what I needed to get me where I am today. It's what I needed to get my son here. It's what he's important part of my family. He wouldn't have come any other way. Exactly. This little spirit. So yeah, it's, it's tough. Making those big life decisions is really, really tough. And we want to make the right choices. And a lot of anxiety can show up in those moments because we're like, I don't want to make the wrong decision. It's scary. It's this life decision. It affects so many people. And there's, we just don't want to screw up. So anxiety can really, really show up in those moments. There's going to be a moment where you got to just act in faith. Had I known I was going to go through all of that stuff, would I have done it? I don't know. (laughs) If I knew how great my son was, maybe, but I mean, knowing all the pain and the circumstances, I I don't know if I would have gone through it, but it's what I needed to be molded and shaped and for to have all those experiences to now help all the people that I do and the connections I get to make now. And I would not have had those. So there's got to be a moment where you need to learn to turn off the anxiety alarm so that you can hear God's voice. And then you just got to jump in blind sometimes and take that action of faith. And the outcome might not be what you want, but it might be what you need. That was super profound. So thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, I do think I was taught on my mission that the spirit speaks first. But recently I went skydiving and that morning I woke up and my, my anxiety was ready to to speak. And the first thing was, you're going to die today. (laughs) And I did jump out of the airplane and I didn't die that day. Yay! I feel like my body, my spirit or whatever, like my (laughs) mind was telling me, (laughs) you're going to die. Today is your last day. (laughs) I will goodbyes, you know? (laughs) And and anxiety speaks louder than the spirit. So maybe the spirit (laughs) did talk first. You just couldn't hear it. but that's also happened to me. I went and lived in Spain and man, the, the intensity of the like discomfort right before I got there and right before I went was intense, like to the point where I'm like, I'm not supposed to do this. Right. Um, and so it's just so interesting because my, and I, somebody recently said this to me, like in my close, you know, within my family and they said, I suffer from regret. And it's really had an impact on me because I feel like I tend to have that similar kind of like struggle of, oh, I should have done this or why did I do it this way? Or, you know, I, I, the spirit tried to warn me or, you know, and I still made a choice. And, and I just think, how do we help? Cause I feel like you've gotten to a healthy place with the choices that you made and that you did feel like, Oh, this is, this is the path for me. And obviously you wouldn't be here helping us the way you are without the journey. Uh, but how would you help somebody 
who feels like they suffer from regret? It's one that keeps us stuck. It's one that the adversary wants us to stay. He wants us to always be looking in our rearview mirror because he knows if we're trying to make progress, but if we can, you know, if we're trying to go forward, we're driving our car forward, this is the path I want. But if he can get us to say, oh, don't look forward, look in your rearview mirror while you're driving, he knows you're going to crash. Okay, so remember, God's plan is always about looking forward, going forward. You know, I can't imagine a a savior or a heavenly father who's going to sit us down and say, let's just look back over your life at all your regrets. Let's just sit in that pain together. Let's just stay there. That's what the adversary wants. Let's sit in the dark, in the pain together. The uh, the savior is always going to say, yeah, that happened. And I'm so sorry. And I can tell you're still hurting. Now, how can we, what can we learn from it? And what can we do to make forward progress? How can we move you two millimeters out of the dark and into the light? So first of all, we got to give ourselves some grace. We all have regrets. We've all made poor choices. We've all missed out on opportunities. We've, We've all had those experiences. That's part of this human journey. But Stop looking in the rearview mirror. Let's forgive what we need to forgive. And that means forgiving ourselves for carrying the shame and the guilt, for holding on to that for so long. And then it means, okay, now what can I do to move forward from it? Let's stop looking backwards. What can we do now to move forward? And it's it's just simply like looking at it from a new angle and a new perspective and saying, is there something I can do to... Um, heal or change that? Can I still go through that opportunity? Can I still skydive? Well, yes, you can. Can you maybe go back and marry a certain person? Probably not. But, you know, some of the things we can still do. So if you can do it, do it. But if you can't, what do you, who or what do you need to forgive? It's always a forgiveness thing. Who or what do you need to forgive? What can I learn from it? How can I grow from it? And how can I go forward? And I had an experience with that um, as part of that marriage I was talking about that was really hard. And I, um, for months after it was like, you, you need to forgive, you need to forgive. And I just kept having this thought, you've got to forgive. And I'm like, but I've been to counseling. I've done the work I've been, I've tried. I think I've forgiven him. I'm, I'm, I'm healing. I'm moving forward. Like, but this thought overall, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. And I'm just like, but I didn't do all that bad stuff. And I'm trying hard. Like what? what? And I, it took a while. And it finally hit me one day that I hadn't forgiven myself for staying in that marriage as long as I had. And I had shame and guilt around that. And the minute I realized that I was like, wow, I didn't even realize I'd picked it up and been carrying it. But in order to completely heal that whole experience, I'd forgiven him. I'd forgiven this. I'd forgiven that. But I hadn't forgiven me. And in hindsight, I knew in that moment, I couldn't have left any sooner. But somewhere through the journey, I was carrying that regret, that shame, that embarrassment or whatever it was. So I, I think if you were struggling with regret, Do a quick glance in that mirror for the last time and say, what is it that I'm having trouble letting go? Who do I need to forgive? What do I need to forgive? 
Now, how can I adjust the mirror? So I'm looking forward now. I love that. I, there's a, there's, I feel like I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to have you come back and do this again. Cause there's still so many questions <laughs> I have about this, on this topic. Um, I do have what, like, so I feel like anxiety as it's been defined to me is kind of, you know, anxiety is being worried about future events or kind of looking to the future instead of being in the present and depression is looking in the back, you know, in the rear yeah. mirror. And, and, uh, you know, we still have to look ahead. Right. But, um, how do we be present? We want to be present as well. Like there's a balance there as well. Um, but do you, have you noticed like some specific cognitive distortions that are pretty pertinent to anxiety? Yeah. So you touched on a really important a thought here that I think hopefully will lead into this and explain it. But when we are thinking thoughts that start with something like what if, sometimes we change the wording a little bit, but the thought, the idea is we're asking what if questions. Um, if I, if you like give a talk or give a testimony, right, is an example you said earlier. And then after you start thinking, what if I didn't do a good job? What if they didn't like it? What if I stumbled over my words? What if I, uh, what if my, my uh, hair was in the wrong place or what if my, uh, whatever it was, right? Where we instantly will trigger our anxiety alarm that way. So we want to be the thing that I think, and that is the most important to keep your head in the right space and your alarm off or not ringing, at least blaring loud all the time is we want to be really careful with those what ifs. Like I said, if you can create a what if question, what if I messed up and now they're looking at me and I'm embarrassed and they judge me and what, right? And then it can turn into a story that can spiral down. Well, I can't go to church next week then, and then I'm not going to do this. And, and it can spiral us down. And that's what the adversary wants us to do. He wants us stuck in what if questions because they hold us back. So what I like to do to help so that we don't get those distorted thoughts or those thoughts that trigger our alarm or that push us in a place we don't want to go. I like to add this because we do have to plan and look forward. We do have to uh, sometimes get curious about how to, you know, get ready for a presentation or do something. Different. Like we have to move, think forward sometimes. So how do we think forward without creating distorted thoughts that are going to limit us or spiral us down? And it's so easy. It's another two millimeter strategy. Everything I do is two millimeters and tiny and usually ridiculous on purpose. I like to add the word so two little letters. So, so here's the thing. Think about this. If I say to you, if you just gave a, a talk or, or testimony at church and you're like, <gasps> and you're like, what if, and you start there, what if instead we, you gave the testimony and just in that second where you want to go down that path you've been before, you stop and you say, so, so what if they didn't like it? So what if I stumbled over my words? So what if my hair was totally out of place and I got black mascara running down my, because I teared up. So what if I did that? So what if I answer that phone call? So what if I the doctor calls and I answer it and it's not good news. 
whenever you add the word so, it keeps your thoughts in a present place, but it allows your brain to get curious. And curiosity does not trigger your alarm. So that is what I could talk so much more on that, but I will stop. But that is um, probably the simplest thing to help keep your thoughts from getting distorted or running wild or spiraling down or anything else. Just add those two little letters, S-O, totally a game changer. I've never heard that. I think that is brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. <laughs> is there anything that you want to share that we haven't covered? There's a lot we haven't covered, but um, is there anything that you really want to share before we wrap this up? I think my final thought would be just if you're struggling with anxiety or anything else, obviously we're kind of focusing on anxiety, but you substitute any other word in there, any of those darker colored emotions on the rainbow, just recognize that those are not meant to keep you stuck and in pain and hold you back and limit you. All of those are beautiful tools to help you move forward. You do not have to stay in this state. There is simple little things just like that. So strategy, tiny little things that will make a great impact. And if you need, um, if you're struggling with that, just reach out. There's tons of people you know, tons of people who can help, who are ready to help, who are willing to help, who've been down the journey and will do it with you. You do not have to do anxiety alone. How do we contact you? <laughs> um, the, there's several ways. The easiest way is I'm always on Facebook. So you can always find me on Facebook there. I have a group called for LDS women um, and, and any other woman. It's not just specific, but it's generally LDS population. But any woman who's looking to learn how to be more anxiously engaged in their life, um, you're always welcome to join that group. And then, of course, you can just find me there. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn, all those things. It's just my name, Rachel Curfew. Um, and I have a website, uh, just rachelcurfew.com. So any of just my name is the easiest way to find me and everybody it's r-a-c-h-a-e-l so make sure you spell it right because i know people are going to be like i gotta learn more so <laughs> thank you so much again for your time and i appreciate you rachel oh all my pleasure thank you for having me it's been super fun today to talk with you <laughs>